Welcome back to this old Trumpy Pompas, 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 Pompas podcast. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Tromedy Podcast. It's Kenneth Allen. I'm doing another episode, and uh, it looks like it's coming out once a month at this point. Uh, busy, 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 buddy, right here, doing my, my, doing everything I can to get this out. But remember, find us at TromedyPodcast.com, uh, Stitcher, and uh, there's going to be a new change in the iTunes address. So I'll let you know as soon as I know what that change is, uh, how to find it on, on iTunes. But for now, Stitcher and the actual website has it all. How's everybody doing? I'll tell you, um, I know I got my regular crew of people listening and I appreciate you. Please tell other people. I really want to get this out there so I can start getting some kind of, uh, financial background to it. It doesn't really matter at this point. I, I'm doing this for my own edification. And as you'll see today, really as a reminder for me to be professional, um, I, I feel like that's, what's lacking in medicine these days. And I feel like uh, everybody has a tendency for that to happen. So uh, it, it's, it's more or less when I say things like, and you know, you should, I'm really talking to myself um, quite literally like I am right now sitting in, a, in the uh, office of the city college where I'm about to teach in about two hours. But I figured I'd get here early and send this out to you. So, so please tell other people about this. Maybe I'll make some money on it. Maybe I won't. But maybe it will help you and your friends. You know, hopefully it keeps you going throughout the day. Hopefully in those long hours in the ambulance where you're not able to sleep because they just keep dispatching you, you got something to listen to. Maybe when you're doing your paperwork after shift, maybe when you're sitting in the hospital um, area finishing up all those patient care reports. You need a little background noise. You got a little uh, spark. Uh, you need something to distract you, but, but you need something to spark your, uh, your momentum. Maybe that can be me. I hope so. I hope that I can pass this along and you, and you get a little bit more uh, than just listening and, and, and a waste of time. Although nothing feels better than wasting time sometimes. Every once in a while, you glean a little bit and you bring it out for, uh, for your patients and for your own self. And hopefully that's, that's uh, what happens when you listen to my podcast. And that might happen after this episode. Here's some other things to think about that I've been, that I've been running through my head. Um, the issues are I, 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 keep, I keep doing these own, my own podcast. It's just me, myself, and I sitting around doing these things. And I... And I really feel like it's it's old man Allen bringing the vitriol and bringing the you really should do this because I know everything. Hey man, I've been in this field for fifteen years, bro. I don't know what I'm up to, you know. And I really know everything. Um, as much as I like to believe that, I absolutely do not. And I, and I really don't want to believe that, to be honest. I, it, the whole point of this profession is knowing what you don't know. And being intrigued in following up on things that you experience in the job, maybe um, some kind of medical um, disease or ailment or, you know, genetic um, uh, unique abnormality or something that you go, I don't know anything about that. Let's take a look at that. Um, you know, usually that's that's what I kind of get off on in this day and age is is following up on stuff that I don't know. And, and so... Um, I've always been the kind of person where if I don't know it and I'm teaching people, I'll go look it up for my own edification and for the class. 
And there's also something to be said about a teacher saying, I don't know. Good question. I don't know that. Let me look it up and find out. It really, ironically, um, makes you believe them more and gives you more faith in their, in their intellect when they admit to not. So I, you know, I hear people saying like, you know, that's such a good trait to have. Well, but it also helps the teacher in the long run. So I don't really know a lot. Um, when it comes to, I would say big concepts where a doctor or a nurse practitioner, or even a physician's assistant, not to play it down like that, but you know, where your, your purview, your job description requires that you learn a little bit more academia than, than I had to as a medic. Um, but the things that spark me to go out and do something, learn a little bit more are the things that I encounter and really what kind of blows my hair back. I think I've gotten a little ahead of myself. What I get concerned with is the tendency to forego that impetus to rather than reach forward and, and strive to read more, to be more comprehensive with my patients um, and my patients in general, right? The people I work on and my own mental demeanor and calmness is this uh, tendency, the longer you do this job, to become what people call salty or you know, even bitter, uh, where if for some reason it's a badge of honor to be um, pessimistic and, and gripe. And um, I, was, I was on, you know, it's, it's been bothering me because I feel like the humanity is kind of, it's fallen out of medicine, maybe with the, the flux in, in, in society today to be more um, phone phone introverted and, and internet introverted where you, you really are just kind of this voice in the darkness, um, taking pot shots at people, screaming down from the, from the buildings, you know, fuck you asshole, whatever, you know, like that kind of attitude. Well, you don't know shit. This is my situation. This is it. And, and like this attitude where there's no discourse, there's really no communication between people. And that's fine for a lot of jobs. I don't think it's, it's, it's in any way beneficial for the species. But where it is point for point detrimental is in patient care. Patient care. We, the very name implies that we have to care about our patients. We have to create a bond within five minutes of meeting this patient where we can do the best treatment we can ascertain all of their other medical illnesses, including erectile dysfunction, including a potential ectopic pregnancy in a 14-year-old girl. And how are we going to learn that if we don't come at this with some kind of compassion and care for our patient? How are we going to be thinking clearly enough to handle this? And I find that this, this lack of compassion, you know, where, oh, the humanity of it. Where's the humanity? Where, is it because of this symptom that in the society today we're just more geared to text rather than call? 
and we're more geared to talk to people on a phone rather than in person because it's awkward and because we're going to feel like uh, maybe we're stepping into things where we don't want to be. And, and, and it is there. There's a lot of that in there. You know, like how many comedians today are kind of like they, their whole shtick is their awkwardness, right? It's like this, it's become this whole culture and, and they don't, you know, okay, I guess it works for some people. Um, where you can't have that is when you're doing a physical assessment on a patient, on you need, on, on the, the moments, during the moments where you need your hands to be reassuring. You need to be thorough and you need to put the patient at ease when you're touching their head, their chest, their abdomen, when you're, when you're assessing the pelvis, when you're doing those things, they are awkward possibly for you. They're definitely going to be awkward for the patient. And so I find that there's at first, there's this kind of awkwardness with the, with the culture to learn to be visceral, learn to be contactive with your patient. And it really drives me up a wall when I see it with my students here, because where else are you going to learn to palpate both arms, both legs, a pelvis, a chest, listen to long sounds, then in class. And so I really strive to break down that awkwardness immediately. And, and, and a lot of times it works. A lot of times uh, people stay in the back and hide and so forth, and they don't really... You know, what I usually do when I see that is I pull them right to the foreground and make them do it five times. And I don't, that's not cruel in any way, shape or form. Here's something that we have to keep in mind when we're doing this job. There are certain physical and mental and, and, uh, and, and soulful requirements that you need to have and practice every day to be the best in this profession of life-saving and patient care. And if you don't have it in you and it's awkward and it doesn't work for you, do not pursue this profession. Get out of it. Um, You get paid for that. That is a responsibility. If you can't do it, don't. Get out. No excuse. You can learn to get over whatever issues you have if you want to, but really, you're here voluntarily. No one is forcing you to get this, to take this job and to get paid what you get paid. Okay. So, um, the, the, the life cycle of an EMT is maybe that awkwardness to finally getting into the job and starting to perform life-saving measures where, especially paramedics, where you're now starting IVs, you're pushing medication, you're shocking patients, you are uh, putting an intubation tube inside them and you're, and you're rescuing them from hard, heavy vehicle accidents and you're going to see some blood and guts and death and and occasionally you will get some saves some life saving saves and it is it is one of the greatest most visceral life and death sympathetic response adrenaline pumping experiences you will ever have ever in life especially if you're doing this maybe in a combat situation where you're taking fire, but you're saving lives. It's crazy and it's awesome. And is there anything more noble in my opinion? No. Is there anything more, um, 
adrenaline pumping, in my opinion, no. I've jumped out of airplanes. I've been overseas. When we go on a vehicle extrication where life is literally on the line and the, the crew performs exquisitely and the patient lives, uh, I'm on a high for days. I've done a podcast after that had happened and I went into the weight room and did that. And I, I'm telling you, there's nothing greater than that. And those first, first five years of your career, hopefully if you're in a busy system and you get exposed to those things that are awkward at first, but show you your metal, right? Show you your skill and your, um, your acuity to deal with those situations. Those should be your proving ground and find out how do you feel? Are you stressed? Are you taxed? Are you bringing this home? Are you not sleeping? Are you drinking more? Are you depressed? Are you exhilarated? Are you sleeping better? Are you communicating with friends and family and, and you're proud of what you do? Those, those feelings are going to tell you whether or not you should stay in this profession. It's going to be hard. It's going to be stressful. What you do with that stress tells you what you should be doing with your life. Okay. So awkwardness is, is, a, is, a, is a growing pain in this profession. And I'm all for feeling awkward. It's the, one of the reasons why I'll say things like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Let me find that out. You know, and, and I'll do that. Or if you intubate and, you know, you're trying to show the students how to do it. I always go, man, I better get this too, dude. You know, there's always a little bit of stress there because it is my emergency when I'm teaching. Um, we always have that saying, you know, when you start to get nervous on a call, relax. You're not the one who's dying. It's not your emergency. It's theirs. You owe it to them to focus and do it. Well, when you're teaching... The person that stands to lose or gain is you as the instructor. And, you know, if you don't do a cohesive job showing them the right way to do it, a coherent job. Uh, and if you fail at it, well, you better figure out a way to uh, work around that thing and, and also just go, oh, okay. So you can see even an expert or even somebody who teaches it can, can miss occasionally. So um, that's, that's just part of the job. Feeling awkward is something you need to get comfortable with. In life, I think, you have to get comfortable with it if you're going to push through it and become good at something new. So those, those five years, look at that as your chance to learn, to see and be exposed to real trauma, emergency, and medical illnesses. And injuries and and figure out do I really want to do this be honest with yourself because there are many people and this happens in about two to five years after you get onto the job where I always call it kind of that it's that sophomoric way of looking at the job where you go yeah I worked on the roof two years already as an EMT I pretty much know everything you know I got it oh we're going on this chest pain call bullshit you know yeah, he's been having chest pain for three days. Uh-huh, great, yeah. This is really going to be a heart attack. Where you start to become salty. You think that you've been on the job long enough, that you've earned your pessimism, that you really know more than the patient, and you really don't have to take it seriously. Uh, you start to get a little bit of attitude. Hey, guys, guess what? 
you're just starting your job and you're just now realizing what kind of stress it's going to put on you in the long term. You know, a lot of people say things like, well, I'm underpaid and overworked. And what? So what does that mean? That now you've, you deserve the right to be angry and, um, and in some way uh, pessimistic and mean towards your patient? Why, why, why in the first place would you want that? Why, why, why have you tried to deserve and earn the right to be an asshole? That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Like, does that just mean that you're an asshole anyway? And now you've decided that it's time enough for me to now show that I'm an asshole and I've earned the right to be an asshole to my patients and my, and my fellow care, caregivers, my employees. Um, and, and the reason that this came into my head was I was on a, I was on a uh, Facebook group. I won't, I won't give the name, uh, but it's kind of supposed to be about, you know, being funny in EMS and just kind of the black, the black humor, the dark humor that, that, that we, we get, which is an important thing to keep in mind. We do have a gallows humor and it's very powerful and we can use it for some great good, basically to push through really fucked up situations and to continue to do the job afterwards as a coping mechanism. But on the, course of being on this site they started showing uh i mean it was just it was just pissy complaining gifs and memes and and then there was videos of like really you know um damaged people uh you know arms lacerated and cut up and then people would kind of chime in and be like i'm hungry for a hamburger anybody you know okay Get it right, you know. Oh, I'm over this. Nothing grosses me out. Uh, there was footage of a guy being hit by a, a, a tire going at highway speeds, like it flew off the car and hit him. Sure enough, that dude's got to be dead or brain dead. I mean, the way that they hit, and everyone's kind of joking about it. And, um, and you know what? I had to get off the site, I'm over it. I, I don't, I don't need any extra, um, traumatic stuff to see than what I've already seen. Uh, I don't need, and I don't need that, that kind of, um, let's be honest, negativity that's couched in what's supposed to be funny in your response to things. Here's a real simple thing to keep in mind. If you don't laugh at it, it's not funny and nobody else is going to think it's funny. There's, there's something to be said for gallows humor when it actually breaks up the stress of the set of the situation and allows you to get through it and to cope with it. Right. But when you're actually telling something and you're, and you say it in a way that's supposed to be funny, but people go, (laughs) and they don't laugh, then that's not funny. What, what you're doing is trying to be bitter, but go, but if somebody goes, dude, Lighten up. And you go, I'm just joking, dude. What? You don't get it? You don't understand? Man, I see this shit all the time. Dude. It's no big deal. Um, no, it's not fucking funny, dude. I laugh. Trust me. I'll laugh at anything. Usually myself first and then other people. And if I'm not laughing, dude, just f- 
you know, here's the thing. I, what I'm doing right now is becoming hypocritical because I, I keep thinking that um, this, uh, I want to criticize them instead of uh, uh, doing what I think is right, is taking all of this crap and doing something constructive with it. So um, believe me, burnout is very real. And what happens is this. This is an interesting thing. It's not based on how many disturbing things you see, usually. Uh, Those things that I've seen that are really disturbing, I can count them off on my hand, and I don't want to relate them to people because they really did affect me. Um, And so when people say things like, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? I don't want to tell you. Go fuck yourself, bro. I don't need to recount that. Um, but what I, what really burns out an EMT and a firefighter and a, and a doctor and nurse and, and, a, and a paramedic is the monotony of, of really dumb, banal calls. And we get those overwhelmingly, um, more than the, than the, the life and death heart attack and uh, car vehicle rollovers. And because we go on those so often, we start to become jaded. There's a tendency to start thinking of humanity as helpless and, and you know, dare I say, worthless. They don't know what to do. They're, they're ignorant. They don't get this. Or they're just needy and they're, they're disturbing my day when I was just about to eat a burrito. I get to have to go on this call again. And you start to take it personally. And you start to become angry at them. And worse, because of the atmosphere or this potential in EMS to accept that as part of the job, you think that it means more to relate this to your coworkers and to be kind of an asshole to the patient because you've seen it before. Maybe you've even seen them. You've seen them. I've gone, I mean, I know my regulars by first name basis. And, you know, there's a potential there to get angry. Okay. That's a reaction. Does it do any good to do that? I I ask you this question. Does it make the call run any smoother if you complain on the way to the call to your coworkers? Does it make it any easier to, to deal with the patient on the way from the call to the hospital and writing that patient care report? Does it make it better if you're angry on that call? And if the answer is no which it is, then don't do it. You've made your life harder. You've made your coworkers life harder and you've made the patient's life harder. Okay. Some of you out there will be thinking, well, no, because if you make it uncomfortable for them to do it, then they may not call the next time. Well, no, they'll call. They're always going to call, especially if they have medical problems, especially if they're drunk, somebody else will call. Or they'll go someplace else and they'll call or they'll deal with that in the hospital and they'll have a negative energy towards anybody where they need patient care, okay? And I hope what you're saying to yourself is fine, then they won't call and they'll die in the back. Because, dude, it's not the right way to think about this stuff. If you start to see this and you start to see it's hopeless for you to have a positive fucking outlook on life, then get out of this profession. Again, you chose to be underpaid and overworked You chose to do patient care. You chose to be on the clock and respond to these calls. So what I've done, and again, this is me talking to me, by the way. This is not a simple task. But 
I spent my five years doing, let's see. Well, I spent two years in Oakland. Before that, I spent two years in Tiburon as a reserve and didn't really see too much. But I learned a lot as far as talking to my patients and being interested in them on a personal level. Two years in Oakland. Uh, another, mm, you know, first half of the year in, in Afghanistan after that. Came back here, and I've been in San Jose ever since then. And, and so those first four to five years was spent cutting my teeth on emergency calls, and I really learned my aptitude to handle them effectively. I didn't really uh, burn out on, those, on the early stuff. I mean, the first three, to, probably four or five years, six years, uh, I was, I'm just excited. I'm excited to do the job. Um, truthfully. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm better than you, but I, I, I still felt like I was, um, under educated. I needed more contacts and, and more information and more big calls. It wasn't until about eight years in or 10 years in where I, I guess it'd be like the seven year itch, but for me, it happened at about eight, eight or nine years where you realize you're going on the same call. You're going uh, on the same febrile seizure where the baby's having a seizure, not because they have a mental defect, not because they're epileptic, but because they are, they're hot. They're, you know, it's a, it's a very common seizure call. And after your 200th call, you go, Jesus, another febrile seizure call at three in the morning. When are these people going to remember? When are they going to figure this out? What you have to remind myself when at that point was, hey, man, you already taught all those other parents that what a febrile seizure was. This is this parent's first time experiencing it. It's your sec 200th, but it's their first. And what good is it going to be for me to walk in there and, and, and to just go, I know it's not, it, don't worry about it. It's just, it's not, no. Well, what if they have a seizure because they're epileptic? They're not. Don't worry about it. It's because they're hot. Why did you bundle them up? Take all this off. Give me the baby. Take it off. You know, what What the fuck? What kind of ambassador am I to emergency medicine and to the city at large if I'm working for them or to the company if I'm doing that or, or just to myself? What, what kind of, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? It's my opportunity. And now it's my test. My new job is not to learn all the medical calls and run the best patient care and be exposed to them. I've gotten to that level. I've finished that. I've completed that. I'm an expert in that for better or worse. I'm good at running emergency calls. I excel in it. Now my job is how do I become a patient advocate? How professional can I be with these patients and educate them, teach them what's going on with them, explain to them in common language what's happening, you know, because there is no class for a parent to learn about febrile seizures or look at the fontanelles to see if there's swelling in the brain or dehydration. Nobody teaches first aid to parents. Why isn't that, why isn't there a basic first year as a parent course for people, you know, um, that is a, that is a well needed course that nobody has. It falls on us, the caregiver. So that's my job now. Now I focus on that and I'm not telling you that this is how you got to run it, but this is what I'm doing until I promote 
to another profession, and I look back on all these hard days as a medic um, with fondness. I want to look back honestly and not through rose-colored um, compensation goggles where I go, yeah, I really worked my ass off. Oh, did I? Because I know when I shut up, I'll think back and go, did I really? Did I actually really do the best that I could? And this, that's what's going to stay with me, whether or not I did it right or not, professionally and to the best of my ability. So I've hit burnout for sure. And I've gone through it two or three times since then. I've been a medic for, um, let's see, 5, 15, 70, about 13 years, 13, 14 years. And days get tough, especially when you're overworked, you're um, under, underslept. And um, you're going on repeat calls, and they're tough, and and you just you just need a little respite, but you're not getting it. So, I'll give you an example. This is what I do now. This is what I do, and you're responsible for this. I when I, when I hear that call, all right. For instance, I had a call the other day. Sixty-year-old um, female um, back pain from a fall two days before. So, what goes through my mind at this point? What goes through your mind? 60-year-old female, fall, back pain from two days ago. This is how it goes in my head. Two days ago. She fell in two days ago. Okay. All right. Four, two days ago? And did she go to the hospital then? Probably not. So now why, after two days, does she need to go to the hospital by ambulance now? Seriously? Middle of the day, she can't get her husband to drive. She can't drive herself. She can't take it. Why? Why me? Why? What happened? Why? Why in two days? Ah, I'll bet you probably she got some, went to the hospital, got some pain meds, finished with the pain meds, wants more pain meds. Okay, great. So that's what we're going on. This patient, why, now why, why can't she drive herself? Okay, is she, is she unable? Is she, um, what, she was up already, you know, is she moving around? And now there's pain? All right, so we're going on this call that's not a code three. We shouldn't have to rush over to see what's going on with her back that she injured two days ago. And then also there's all this slew of thinking like, okay, so they, 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 why would a 60-year-old woman have chronic pain like this? She doesn't take care of herself. She's going to be failing. And again, it's up to us, the 911 um, responders were basically the parents to society to go over there and help them out. All right. So all of this flashes in my head in the blink of an eye because of all the calls I've gone on and all the times that that's true. So I get into the car, I get into the rig and now I got a choice. And this is, I, I chose to keep my mouth shut this time because I can say to everybody what I'm thinking. I could say everything that I just thought and complain and bring everybody down. But what's that do? That then gets the EMTs thinking like I am, the captain thinking like I am. It's going to cause them to do or not do blood pressures, or if they do, just do a real cursory blood pressure, not put them on the EKG, not run a blood sugar, you know, not check all the other things that I could do to find out what's going on really on this patient because of some offhanded remarks that I make on the way to the call based on my prejudice of previous calls like this. So I think it all, I let it all come to the top. I just take that just giant, you know, sack of coal and you know, that big Christmas morning, bad, bad boy sack of coal. And I just, I 
swallow it. Take it, and I get to the front of the, the house, and I just take a breath. I stop here, and this, is, and this is the other thing that I think. What am I going to tell my podcast audience? How, how am I going to preach one thing and then actually do the opposite? And so you out there are responsible because you listen and because I don't want to be a hypocrite for me doing this. Get to the front of the door, think about everything I just did and go, man, yeah, isn't that shitty? What, what, this could be a, the worst. Let's see if I'm right. Let's see how right all of those preconceived thoughts were when I walk in on this call. Take a deep breath, walk in, and sit down next to her and ask her a name and start to find out what's going on. Well, guess what? Woman's 60 years old. She fell down the other day. She refused to stay in bed. Instead, she was cleaning the house. She tripped, fell, and dislocated her hip. She then crawled to the couch, got on the couch, said she was going to rest. Her husband decided to call 911. She's not on any pain meds. She's dealing with it just fine, although she's pouring sweat and gripping in her hands and gritting her teeth due to pain. And anytime she moves, i.e. anytime she would have had to move herself to the car or if her husband had to carry her, she's in 10 out of 10 excruciating pain. Okay, how much of what I thought of in the past and on the way to the call was accurate? There's absolutely nothing. I am, I am 180 degrees off the mark. And I was letting all of that change my demeanor on the way of the call. By the end of that call, we had the patient inside a scoop or a, um, you know, basically we're carrying her on a cot to the, the gurney as gently as we can because if we move and jostle her, she's screaming in pain but gritting her teeth and fighting the pain through that, right? She's full of morphine because I absolutely need to give this woman morphine if she wants it and she uh, can take it. And um, is this an ALS call? Is there a need for us as a 911 responder to be there? You bet your ass. There's no other call we should be on. It's this. This is why society's created ambulances. This is why we have pre-hospital care is to take care of this woman, this patient, from her house to the hospital and see that she doesn't get injured along the way and that she's got some, some form of respite from the pain. Okay? And all of this is due to, you know, all, all of those preconceived thoughts would flavor my patient care until you get there. And, and you know, if I had said something to the crew... What good would that have been? All you're doing when you become negative and you, you, you get that little complaining, oh, I bet you this is going to be bullshit. That, all you've done is just dug a hole in front of you and the patient. And in order to get to that patient and do effective care, I've got to fill that in. I've got to jump over it, whatever. I've just, I've exerted myself to create some negative thing that I'm going to have to address before I get to the essence of my job, which is to care for that person in the first place. And how much of that care should I be doing? Well, if I really want to be good, and I really want to be a, a Buddhist, a, a samurai of EMS, uno samurai, uh, 
every single call, every single blood pressure should be perfect. Every time I do a head-to-toe, I should get lung sounds and be down at the feet checking pulses and equal movement, right? Every single call, I should put a patient on an EKG. Every single call, I should be an expert. Do the little things, and the little things will inform the big things. When no one's looking, what kind of person are you? And that, man, that's what, that's what gets me going. From, that's what's got to be part of my job from here on out. Until I promote and I have another situation where I'm the new guy and I have to learn and be exposed to all of these things. Now it's, it's the devil in the details. And am I going to meet that devil and show him that I'm not going to flag on my care, but I'm going to dot my I's, cross my T's, swab the needle, swab the port on the IV before I connect up the drug. Am I going to be looking at the medication three times when I take it out, looking at expiration dates, making sure it's the right medication and the right dosage, and I'm pushing it every single time, three times over, just like I have, even though I know what it looks like, I know what it is. Am I going to do and follow the meditative process? And I look, if I do, right, if I double tie my laces like that, I'm only going to be educating and helping myself along with everyone else. I'm teaching myself the diligence and also it goes towards patient care. You're going to, I mean, I, I believe it. I believe when you're, when you're doing all of that, the patient feels it and they, and they can calm down and half this freaking job is just calming patients down, right? Like learning their first name and referring to them as their first name, not this dear, Ugh, it drives me crazy. Dear, I'm, I'm going to need you to step over here on the gurney. Dear. Okay, dear. Please, dear. Dude, do you call anybody in your life dear other than your patients? And a dear, maybe. Don't call people. Dude, just, just learn them and talk to them. I bet you'll be surprised. How many times you run across a, a, a veteran that you get the ch- chance to talk with and, and learn about the war in a, in a real way? Or, 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 or uh, 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 listen, gang members have informed me on more than one of the activity, one of the situations, the activity that's going on in that situation on the scene in that location, um, some of the things that they're doing in gangs now, i.e. giving them like Molly and then having them go out and shoot people so that Pavlovian condition, conditioning occurs in the head. And like all this crazy shit that's happening. I wouldn't learn that if I just treated that patient as a blank being, you know, vacuna that's sitting, a lacuna that's sitting inside the ambulance. That it's like, oh, it's a burden to treat them. Dude, talk to people. You'll learn things and they'll feel reassured. And, and that's to me is the sooner I make this person real and I break down all, that, that, the, all the, the work that we have to do and explain to them the treatment that we're doing, better off they are. You know, it's that same thing where we go, this is going to be uncomfortable when we put the neck collar on. Why? It should not be uncomfortable. You're doing your job wrong. It should feel comfortable. I love wearing a neck collar. It stretches my neck out. I get a little traction. You know, um, if they're holding their arm, let them hold their arm in the position and then splint around that. We've taken out the informal, personal investment that we should have on patients. And to me, it's the only thing that keeps you going. It's the only way I can survive is, is trying to be as good as I can be and being as personable to them. And once you start doing that, once I start doing that, they're going to tell you whether or not they could be 
pregnant and they're 14 or 15. They're going to tell you if they took erectile dysfunction medications. They're going to tell you whether or not they've been occasionally uh, snorting um, meth or taking prescription drugs because they feel like you're a professional too and you need to know it and they're going to gain something from talking to you and telling you the truth. And, and, And to me, like, that's it. It's like, you know, you got to care about people. Honestly, it's called patient care because you're not just providing care, but you got to care. And I care about myself too. I want myself to promote. I want myself to be better. I'm going to get there by making sure I put a little bit extra on calls and doing stuff and not complaining because for sure it's hard enough to do extra. It's even harder if I've put up a roadblock in front of me that I have to now climb over and then try and do the extra bit. So if you got it out there, analyze what you got. Learn how to take that sack of coal, you know, and just with all the anger and the pressure, just crush that little sucker down into a diamond. A little diamond of wisdom. Oh, that's good enough. Uh, I hope that helps. I hope that helps. Maybe just try that. Next time you're going on that call, think about it and go, oh, let's think of all the negative shit it could be. Let's think about all the things it can be. This would be fun. Do a little test. Think of all the things, all the potential that it could be. And then when you walk in, see how right you were. Okay? How about put your money, put your mouth where your money is. Tell this, tell this to the guys. Guys, okay, this is what I'm thinking. I'll bet you it is this. Right? And say what you think. And then when you go in, they go, now I want you to see how right or wrong was I. So that when they come at you, they go, nope. Boy, you look like an asshole. You were wrong 100%. Good. Good, because maybe that'll teach you to be nice. Because really, it's all about just being nice, man. It's fuck chaos out there. Be kind to each other. And as always, if you got it, ladies and gentlemen, use it. Meaning if you got a little bit of that coal, turn that sucker into a diamond and marry the world. Love you very much. Take care. Thank you.